So much the neutral zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies, where we talk about Star Trek at great length, very loudly. My name is Creed, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Kim. Hello, and Ari. Hello, and it is our tenth episode. Yay! Glasses clink. Wait, wait, wait. Mugs clink. Mug clink. And sip. That was gross. Mm. <laughs> That's some like radio play level sipping. <laughs> So today we are talking about the ninth aired episode of Star Trek Dagger of the Mind. And you know you're in for some good stuff when it's a Shakespeare reference. Mm-hmm. Everyone catch that? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Everyone looked at the Wikipedia article? No. Kim. So you know the part in Macbeth where he's all, is this a dagger I see before me? Yeah. And then he's like, or it could be a dagger of the mind. Oh, okay, that's really awesome. Yeah, so you see how that ties into this episode. It does, it definitely does. This subtle, subtle, (laughs) subtle episode. As are all episodes of Star Trek. (laughs) Okay, but like, pause and hold the horses and everything because I didn't hate this episode. Wow. I actually enjoyed this. I mean, despite the fact that I stopped in the middle for a nap, I, I really How long was that nap, Kim? Two and a half hours. Right. Um, I did enjoy it. Not, I think... That not, was, not an indicator of the quality of the episode, then? The nap? No. No, sometimes okay. uh, you gotta nap when you gotta nap. Yeah, it was, it was more of like an emotional, like, you must nap right now kind of nap. Nothing to do with, like, I'm so bored of this episode, I have to fall asleep. Oh, been there. I... This episode really does work as an engaging piece of television. There's not yeah. a lot of moments where you're like, oh, just get on with it. Yes, there was like a lot of the current episodes up to this point. There, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on in this, and like people other than Kirk got to save the day. It was wonderful. <laughs> I will never understand your hate on towards Kirk, but I agree. There are a lot of different balls up in the air for this episode. I think they even caught them all. They caught most of them. Like all the ones that I remember. I would agree that the end was a little... And... Done. Well, no, that's, I can think of one they didn't. That's becoming like... I mean, the more that we watch these, the more I'm realizing that's how these episodes end. You wrap up whatever was happening on. You go back to the bridge. And it's like slightly... Go. Slightly offensive quip. And here we go. Yeah. The end. It's like... There's no sort of like emotional roundup to the episodes. No, because they don't they don't emotionally change after anything. So yeah. what's the point? It was just like, well, that was an adventure. Oh. Racism. <laughs> Ladies. Yeah. So true. But it's very interesting. Like in my mind when we got to this episode, I was very excited because this for me marks the point when Star Trek starts getting really interesting. As much as I love Salt Monster and I do love Salt Monster so much. This episode, the next episode, obviously not the menagerie, which is just a Bucket, a bucket of stinking eels. But this one, it's it's so interesting. It's so exciting. Despite the fact that actually the Corbomite... Very good. I'm never going to say that correctly. I apologize. Windower was actually the first filmed episode after the pilot. Was it? Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that when we get to that episode. Put a pin in that. I'm I'm, I'm pinning it. I'm pinning it. Okay. Um, But yeah, I agree that 
Dagger the Mind marks the point where they started casting Starfleet officers, and Kirk in particular, as being really, really smart, as being strategically minded, as being competent. Like, the idea, less cowboy, more, like, highly educated sailors of the stars or whatever. Yeah, well, that was one thing that I really liked about this, is that even though Kirk was like, I disagree, he was to Bones, Bones came up as like, there is something wrong here. Even though Kirk was like, I disagree with your opinion, I'm still going to investigate it. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. wasn't just an outright dismissal, and he actually... Didn't just go down and take a cursory walk with his hands behind his back, like Lord of the Manor <laughs> style. He actually kind of put in some time to look and see if there was, you know... Due diligence. The, yeah, due diligence, exactly. And it made him look intelligent. Yeah. It did. I'm going to go back and say Kirk was never a cowboy. He's always a captain. I know, but like the show in general, and not just Kirk, but like Starfleet in general, they started paying more attention to making a point that these were very smart people. I think, I think at this point people. it starts to be more of an ensemble show yeah, where everyone too. gets a moment of realization, of discovery, to look clever and good at their jobs. Yes. Yeah. And that is really engaging to see. That's what I love about Star Trek. Everyone is mm-hmm. pretty good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. With I mean, some exceptions. Well, I mean, with this one with what, what's her name? Helen? Helen Dr. Noel. Yes, Dr. Dr. Helen. Um, Call me Dr. Helen. Um, (laughs) Dr. Helen, medicine woman. um, Well, like, she immediately, she initially started off as being like, no, there's nothing wrong here. Everything's fine. Stop questioning. But she did get to a point where she was able to make a realization. Like, she was was shown as being able to change her mind after seeing the evidence. Mm -hmm. And that was, I really liked that. It happened for each of the characters where, essentially, in this episode, they're presented with something that could not possibly be true based on the reputation of the person involved hmm. but because there are some questions coming from a source which they wouldn't necessarily give any credence to but there is enough that they do do a thorough investigation and they allow their minds to be changed yeah. which yes. I really like yeah I love that That's it's one of the reasons I really really liked this episode mm-hmm. yeah. another thing I like about this episode is we get a little bit more of the world of the Federation specifically their penal system mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And the idea that we treat... I'm going to laugh every time anyone says penal. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just as a heads up. <laughs> well, um, because in the time when Star Trek takes place, we no longer um, use the penal system as a punitive system. We treat it as a rehabilitative system. And there's a heavy emphasis on that. Yeah, but there's a heavy emphasis on it having only changed within like the last 20 years since yes. Dr. Adams yeah. took over as like the head of... Federation Penology. Penology. Yeah. <laughs> Penology. Oh, God. Yeah, I laughed. <laughs> um, but, like, and then, like, there's a section where Kirk is describing them, like, the the colonies before, and I was like, is this jail in Victorian era? Because that's what it sounded like, the, like, dirty scum holes where people were just, like, set loose to kind I was of picturing, like, Merapente when he was talking like that. All I was coming up was with Victorian mental institutions. Or that, that Heritage Minute where she comes in with the whip. Oh yes, good heritage <laughs> mode. But that that was what prisons were. What Kim is referring to is essentially there was no distinction. There was beginning before prison reform. There was no separation between men and women. No, there was no separation for children. It was essentially just a large room that they threw people in, and it was people who had uh, who were hardened criminals. Mm-hmm. You could have your murderers in with your prostitutes in with your people who had some kind of mental affliction women that you wanted to get rid of to grab their fortunes like yeah everyone was just sent into that pit and and, forgotten about and forgotten about which it seems what starfleet was doing which yeah that we don't actually get a lot of information it's just we get the idea that it's a dramatic contrast between then and what they do now the other thing is that 
in the Federation, there is no death penalty, which would have been extremely controversial at the time this episode aired. Did they mention that there was parts. no death penalty? I in don't this episode, think they I do. don't think so. Well, yeah, but we would have a mention of it because well, there are definitely murderers on the penal colony. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't know what their crimes are. Well, some of them we do. I feel like maybe that like. Isn't, like, because we're coming up to the menagerie in a couple of episodes. Yes. And isn't, like, part of the reason that Spock is on trial because going to that planet held, it's like... Forbidden. It, it's and forbidden. It's forbidden. you could have... You could be... You could, it was, like, treasonous and you could be executed for that or something. I feel like that's... I feel like that was the, the, the severity of the pen, penalty for going to that planet. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to come back to this again. Yeah, because we also I think have... there's other... There's, like, Starfleet law as opposed to general law that comes into it yeah. in that case, too. And I think we also have other... At least one other episode that's set in some sort of a prison-slash-mental yeah. institution coming yeah, yeah. up at some point. I feel like as a sci-fi trope, yeah. we have at least three So coming. we can come back, we can revisit the issue of the death penalty once we've re- refreshed our minds. Yeah. I also didn't quite understand what the point... Like of the prison system was like what they viewed crime as that yeah that was another thing is we didn't actually meet any legitimate prisoners who were being locked up for what they've done and learning anything about their stories or whatever all we well, learned except for was that one that one pri- that one reformed prisoner that we need at the beginning but we don't really Poncho understand woman. yeah oh, oh. There, there's a story her, i couldn't remember her name so i had to go look it up it was leith because that's the the river of forgetfulness in Greek mythology. Oh, how clever. how clever. I just called her Poncho Woman because she was basically wearing a giant poncho. Mm-hmm. That oh. seems to be a costuming theme throughout early Star yeah. Trek. But all all you hear about her is that like she was evil. She had these problems. She was, you know, I don't even remember what it was now. She was like schizophrenic or something. And we've cured her. I believe and she now was she's... also a murderer. Yeah, but like... <laughs> Who isn't? But you never actually understand like... What do they think crime is? Like, yeah. I, I got the sense that they thought that these people were just fundamentally evil. Mm-hmm. Some of them had, like, a mental illness that caused them to do crime. I didn't get that. I got that these people were just fundamentally evil from day one, as soon as they shot out of the womb, and that we had to segregate them from society to cure them of their evilness. Yeah. That Anyone was... else have any interpretation? I couldn't quite I, get a handle that, on it. No, I couldn't either. The impression Sorry. I got was that they sort of were looking at, when they wrote this episode, they were like, well, okay, so this is a more civilized world, so they don't, like, lock people up with chains. Um, they're better than that. But I, but they also had no real idea how to write the way that rehabilitation works. But what are they rehabilitating them from? Well, they talk... Like, is it the mental illness? Is it... How well, they don't do really talk upcoming? about... They don't talk about the technicalities, which is funny considering how much of this episode focuses on imaginary psychiatry, but they talk about, yeah, turning them into productive citizens a couple of times. No, but... I don't Kirk, know what that refers to it as almost a resort, and they don't seem to be doing anything on the prison planet. They're just walking around in their ponchos. Yeah, I was wondering what other methods they used apart from the one that we'll talk about when we get to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, but, what else were they using? But this, the, and I think that's probably one of the problems of this episode is that it was not about the people who were in this. It wasn't or about the, the criminals or the system. It was about the one piece of technology yeah. and how, um, how Dr. Adams was misusing it mm-hmm. for his own ends. Which I think there is a really interesting question. Like, what do you do with criminals who cannot be rehabilitated? If they're just pure evil, is it not more merciful to just... Well, I didn't get, I didn't get evil. Them? I got... I definitely got 
there was a sort of a sense of, I think they used incorrigible a couple of times. But, yeah, but that sounds like a cheeky little schoolboy stealing apples from Mr. McGregor's farm. Yeah. Mm. So, basically, so it's Tantalus 4? It's Tantalus 5. five. And uh, they're beaming stuff down. I think it was sensory drugs yeah. mm-hmm. for Dr. Tristan. I have a lot of question marks on that. Whoever that guy is. Mm-hmm. Or, no, we sensory don't. We have drugs. no idea. Sensory drugs. I assume just beaming down some LSD to the prison planet. Yep. Sure, sure. And they're beaming it down to the Tantalus Penal Colony, which I laughed uproariously, and will continue to do so for the duration of this episode. And the little transporter technician, bless his heart, is new. <laughs> he's not new. He just forgets that he's trying to beam things down to a prison I ruined here that Kirk shows up to show the, tell the techs how to do their jobs. To be fair, they do not know how to do their jobs. That's why I thought they were new. It's like, have you I, ever beamed a thing before? I thought this was a stupid contrivance to make Kirk look smart. And he does look smart. That guy looks like a bonehead. Oh, I was dumb. Fire him. Fire him immediately. I mean, to his credit, though, he did, like, own up, like, yes, I'm going to read the manual right away. But, like, you're a transporter technician. You, you should know this already. Maybe they don't go to penal colonies. They don't pro penal colonies often. Oh, stop seeing penal colonies. Well, it gets better because they are beaming up some research from Dr. Adams to deliver to the Institute of Penology in Stockholm. Oh, God, I missed that. And apparently somehow research takes up a human-sized box. It's a lot of research, despite the fact that we've been shown in the past that essentially all information is conveyed through tiny wooden blocks. Maybe it's a box full of tiny wooden blocks. I did like that it was labeled classified. How classified could it be? Do not open, but you guys should definitely open that. (laughs) Yeah, immediately. (laughs) By the way, how did the sensors not detect that That there's a human inside of there and not a human inside there? So, no. We already established that these techs are really bad at their job. They are super bad at their job. Which essentially Kirk swans out being, be better at your job. And the guy's like, for sure. And so it's just this one tech left in the transporter. Why did the other tech leave? I assume he went immediately to go to read manual. Yeah. Presumably. As Kirk suggested. And then the least situationally aware tech in Starfleet turns his back. Wild. To the bad box. To and the they just box. leave the box on just the... Just sitting on the well, transport they're probably waiting for somebody to come and pick it up from transport department to move it to a cargo bay. I don't know how this they works. They don't have a dolly in the transporter room? A lot of these, like, like these are plot contrivances. Absolutely. So, uh, the box goes... And it's Hannibal Lecter in a box. There's a man in that box. A very disheveled man. He And sweaty. Yeah. Until I learned his name, I actually just called him Disheveled Man. I refer to him as Hannibal Lecter because he's wearing a plastic mask. I think, was that for breathing? I believe I it so. was for the breathing, but yes. he was only in a box with other boxes, really. Maybe. Was it a sealed box? Yeah, but it's made of wood. Well, wood I don't breeze. think it was supposed to be made of wood. Wood breeze? Let's do a Mythbusters experiment on this. All right, get into that trunk over there. Yep. I think they did that. Yeah, so anyways, they leave the box there. The box contains a criminal because of course it does. Yeah. It's the only logical thing that could possibly happen. No one in this century has apparently read The Count of Monte Cristo. If they're not going down to the criminals, the criminals somehow <laughs> have to come to them. They definitely have to make contact with the criminals. It's um, true. In this case, he bonks him on the head. No, 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 no. He karate chops him. Oh, that was a right. delightful karate chop. He's like, chop. what is this motion? What are you hitting? I don't And really... he comes down like a bag of potatoes. He just like, yeah. whacks him right on the back of the neck. And, and then starts stripping him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Prison changes people. <laughs> um... And this is where we get Kirk and Kirk fanboying about Dr. Adams' methods on the bridge. Yeah, so it's Stardate 
they're around Tantalus Five, and McCoy and Kirk are talking about prison and their prison fantasies. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. Yes, and how this is the best prison ever, says Kirk. It's and like Bones, a it's like a resort colony. And Bones says, a cage is a cage. I also want to point out that the words resort colony make no sense. Yeah, and uh, a resort colony. But again, there's often been criticism lobbed at prisons that, oh, it's a resort, they get steaks, they can golf, it's so swank and easy. Yeah. Like, I think. Every generation, every society wrestles with what to do with people who have committed a crime or transgressed against society. Yeah. How do we treat them? Do we put them in the deep, dark pit and just kind of leave them? Or do we rehabilitate them? What are we re- rehabilitating them from? Yeah. Their upbringing? The circumstances of society? This also notes, again, that we don't know what their frame of reference is. For no. how bad a prison can get. No, and apparently Kirk, in his spare time, likes to go on tours of penal colonies. Yeah, that was weird to me that he's like, he's toured these facilities before. I'm like, okay, is this part of like, is this another one of your stop-bys to give everybody a medical exam and then you just I assumed it was just a hobby. What fun. (laughs) What what fun. That's what Kirk does on his vacation. Bones, of course, is very skeptical. He says a cage is a cage. Which is true. It is technically true. And then someone, a voice beams up in an accent that I cannot place. Space. Space accent. Mm -hmm. Space Australian. Space English. Space Australian. Mm -hmm. Saying that there is a prisoner missing that definitely, probably, absolutely beamed up in that box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you should probably take a look for him because he is... Violent and dangerous. Now, I want to credit the crew of the Enterprise because they react very sensibly and very quickly to this. Oh, yeah. The colony notices he's missing, like, right away. Well, that's because this is the one guy who can give away his game. Yeah. Yeah. So they need to catch him. But, But, yeah, it's still impressive. I'll agree with Ari. Props to the crew of the Enterprise. They jump to, like, they jump to alert. One guy was like, hey, who spotted him immediately in the hallway was like, I don't know who you are and we're looking for an intruder. Maybe you should halt for a moment. Also, you're the sweatiest guy I've ever seen. (laughs) Which was really great. And, like, um, Spock and Uhura were, like, coordinating the Mm -hmm. search from the bridge. In a grid system! They were! It was, it was actually really, really delightful to see people, like, this crew behaving in a sensible fashion and doing things rationally. Although I have this note that says, like, admirably quick response on behalf of ship security. And then three seconds later, one of the security guards, like, he's hiding in a doorway. And the security guard just walks past. I'm like, way to clear that doorway. Good job. (laughs) Technically, he did clear the doorway of the criminal who was waiting there in the doorway. And then when he got karate chopped and his phaser stolen, that doorway was empty. Mm. You're welcome. Technically (laughs) true. Technically true. Which... Um, at this point, Spock stops to have a philosophical conversation with Kirk in the middle Definitely of the, of the time for this. Saying that, you know, for, for, I think he says for, humans glorify violence for 40 centuries, but imprison those who employ it privately. I like that. I thought it was, it was a really interesting. interesting. Well, they have this, this little, this little sort of, you know, quasi-friendly argument where, um, cause it's actually, it's Spock and, is Spock and Bones or Spock and Kirk? having this conversation. It's everyone. They're chums. But Spock's basically like, well, we don't have presence on Vulcan because we got rid of emotion, so there's no motive for crime. Turns out later, not the case. But, you know, he's, very, he's very proud of himself. Well, but, I mean, it was a really, really good point that Spock brought up in that governments go to war and, in, like, practice violence against entire other cultures, and yet 
we still lock somebody up for like punching a dude in the face or something. It's like it's the difference between institutional violence and personal violence. Well, it's that a I very, thought, it's a very, um, I mean, it's it's pertinent now. Also, the idea that um, it's okay for the state to kill someone, but it's not okay for a private citizen to kill someone, which is definitely the argument around the death penalty in the states. Yeah, yeah, because they're one of the last few that actually have it. And uh, there were definitely a lot more states at this point when the episode was aired that had the death penalty. So it's sort of like, yeah, that's it's a very interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy that Spock takes the opportunity to be smug, though. Yeah, I also liked the statement that, like, without emotion, there is no motive for violence. And I sat there trying to think about different motives for crime. Because we watch, in addition to Star Trek... A lot of murder. A lot of murder. We love murder. I mean, fictional murder. Just yeah, fictional sure, murder. Fictional murder. murder's the best. It really is. And I went through all of the murder shows trying to think of something that was caused without an emotion. And no, it's, it's well, there's greed. Two no, there's greed. There's lust. Jealousy. Jealousy. Anger. Anger. Passion. It is. It's, it's true. Yeah. Um. Was... So point to Spock there. We should just uh, we should just turn ourselves into androids and program the emotions out of us. No, no, no. I that, actually don't no, agree with you uh, 100%. disagree of that characterization of Vulcans. They have emotions, they just control them. They also definitely commit violent crimes sometimes. Oh yeah, there's like there's a Vulcan serial killer in Deep Space 9 who goes around like phasering people to death. Does he do it logically? Yes, he thinks he's doing it logically, but he still murders a bunch of people. Mm. Why does he murder a whole bunch of people? Because it's logical. Don't actually remember Remember the motive to be fair or to like to be honest it is um an episode that's supposed to be about Ezri Dax who I really don't care about that much so I kind of tuned it out other than the fact that there was a Vulcan hanging around. His justification was that it was logical but it did turn out to be an emotional motive. Yeah I don't remember. Because exactly. like his whole family had died or something. Something like that or his crew or something. Something. Yeah. You guys are so simple. I actually don't know that I would 100% agree that there is no motive for murder without emotion but I'm going to write that down for a question to ask at the end. Can you, okay, you mull on that. Yeah. Next thing we know, Hannibal Lecter jumps onto the bridge of the starship. How is there not more security yeah, well, there? The thing that got me, I think, about this one was that right before this, the, the doors open and everyone whips around in concern. And it's the security guy who steps out and stands to guard. He's like, I'm here to guard the bridge, basically. The one guy? Yeah. Guys and then immediately, almost after, the door opens again. And, and he just, like, jumps out and punches the security guy in the back of the head. Like, way to guard that door, so dude. points for effort, but uh, not the best execution. Again, these people need a little bit more training. If you're going to guard the bridge, which contains, at this point, the captain, the chief medical officer, the first officer... Uhura, which should always be protected. Communications officer. Everyone. And the brain of the ship. All the navigational equipment. You put in charge one guy who immediately turns his back to the door. Yes. Shouldn't there be, like, security on the triple lifts themselves? Agreed. You yeah. say bridge, and the triple lift says, uh... Who nope. are you? Who the hell are you? But it would appear that anyone's able to just pop in and out of the bridge at will. I think they that should persists actually through later series. Because really? In, in the in very first gen? episode of Next Gen, Wesley just waltzes onto the bridge. He's not an authorized person. Yeah. Oh, I, good and point. And we get to talk about it later when they rescue those people from the cryopods, um, where they like summon the captain and Riker has to go yell at them and mm. and and nasty ass stockbroker rich guy is like, Well then why isn't the panel restricted if we're not supposed to use it? And Riker's like, Well, in this century we know how to control ourselves. Yeah, no. Clearly I, not. Yeah, apparently it's, not. It's actually something I've always really liked is that like 
their system is open and there's not a lot of like need for closing off the command centers and yeah, I would everyone. argue that everything that happens in Star Trek is, is because an of argument a lack of restrictions for <laughs> restrictions but it to is get to the bridge. An interesting fundamental principle of life in a starship, like the idea that you're just expected to know and follow the rules. It's like when you're on an airplane, there is the expectation that you are not going to go into the cockpit and start a rumble line. Yes. Yeah. If at all possible. Yeah. So he introduced himself as Gelder. Mm-hmm. And Van Gelder. he. Van Gelder. Amazing name. It is amazing. I feel like he should have a pointy Dutch hat. Yes, it was very Dutch or Nordic or something. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is in Dutch. Like, yeah. But he demands asylum. Asylum at gunpoint. Yeah, that's what Kirk says. At gunpoint? This man had serious crazy eyes going on. Oh, this. yeah. Oh, he was amazing. So not sweaty. crazy eyes. Yeah. Oh, so sweaty. That's and you know something's wrong. Uh, no, everyone in Star Trek sweats profusely. <laughs> yes. And he says, don't take me back. I don't. Won't go I back. won't go back. Which, I wrote at this point, he is totally going to die. <laughs> Was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> That's good. And through the force of Kirk's magnetic personality, he diffuses the hostage situation. Doesn't he punch him in the face? Well, <laughs> with his charm. Yeah. And they disarm him. Yeah. They absolutely disarm him. So Spock does a Vulcan nerve pinch. And he falls to the ground. And Bones, in a moment of deep creepiness, grins over him like a creepy neuromancer. And is like, I'd sure like to study him. In that voice, exactly. Ew. I it was, miss that. I don't remember very the being quite like that, but, you know. This smile was creepy. This smile it was, was very creepy. Odd. This apparent gentleman with mental difficulties just took your entire crew hostage, and your first reaction is, I'd like to cut him up. I don't think he means cut him up, but he wants to, like, see the, what the inside of his head looks like, which is, you know, what he does. They take him to sick bay, and they scan him. And yeah, and it turns out he's Dr. Simon Van Gelder. He yeah. is the assistant to Dr. Adams. Yeah. Um, he has a very, he's the director. He says he was the director. He was the director. This is the first time we see the, um, because he's having trouble getting every word out. It looks like he's in pain just trying to talk. Yeah, there's a lot of Dr. Jekylling and Mr. Hiding yeah. here. Well, the things that I like that he said is that he had been subverted and he had been erased. Yeah. Ooh. I really liked those. Like, he had a whole line of descriptors, but those were the two that I really, really liked. I knew that they've erased it. Yeah. 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 I'll die before you take me back. And Spock looks at his ID tape. 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 Well, hey, at least they actually tried to get an ID on the guy before they just handed him back over. Yeah. They did some, some kind of due diligence to make sure he was, in fact, supposed to be there. That's true. And it turns out that he was signed six months ago to Tantalus Five, which kind of raises some questions. <laughs> what is essentially the vice president <laughs> doing as a prisoner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it brings up some questions. And the person that they've been coordinating their search with uh, on Tantalus Five is Dr. Adams. Mm. Genial, charming Dr. Adams. 
Kirk really likes him. Kirk has a giant man crush on yeah, this guy. He is fangirling Dr. Adams like like nothing. It's well, like he is. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's, it was really interesting on the one hand to see like Kirk has re- interests and passions and things that he's like. Well, one of those passions is prison rehabilitative. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I think that's, that's a very interesting is that Kirk essentially at this point is meeting one of his heroes. Yeah. He's got a lot of heroes. And none of them turn out to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Kirk. Where have all the heroes gone? And Dr. Adams says that uh, Dr. Van Gelder was hit by an experimental beam. It was a terrible accident. This is very interesting because they're like, they don't catch the guy until they're like an hour out from Tantalus. Like they've already headed on their way. Why didn't they stop the ship? That is a very good question. Um, and they, as soon as they catch him, they call Tantalus back. If there's a creepy guy in the back of my car, I am stopping my car, getting out, and then ejecting him. Yeah. Yeah. But, so they have to turn around and go back, basically. Um, but they've stopped. In, they in the call, meantime. Yeah, and they call Adams back at Tantalus, and, uh, he's, <laughs> Adams asks, are there any injuries? And Kirk says, there were no casualties. These are very different questions. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were injuries. There was the transporter guy who got chopped on the neck. There was the security guy who mm-hmm. got punched in the back it of the neck. It all looked very pleasant, though. Like, just one gentle karate chop to the back there of the neck and you go the down. The security guy in the hallway who got choked out. Like, there were there were yeah. injuries. But to no be fair, it injuries. was a learning opportunity no for one that died. security officer. <laughs> yes. Which no. apparently is a good day on the Enterprise. Yeah. But Adams is a little bit too helpful because before Kirk can even ask the question, um, so our computer says this guy's your assistant... Um, Adams is like, oh, I hope, I hope that, uh, Dr. Van Gelder is all right. I've been worried about him. And he offers the information of the accident. He has not been helped. He is, yeah, no. Well, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing through the, until they get to the colony and even on the colony, he has the answer to the question before yeah. they, just before they were going to mm-hmm. ask it. They, they shut him out for a minute to think of the question and when Too they come helpful. back. Yeah, he's got the answer. It's interesting because at this point, McCoy is very suspicious, and I cannot tell if that is just jealousy. Well, he says... Straight up jealousy that Kirk likes this doctor better. Yeah. Yes, Or that he just hates prison. I think think he hates prison. Well, I think it's a combination of hating prison and actually having a chance to examine the person because he was saying like there's a point where he said that he really does want to study him the the like the exam results were abnormal but there was nothing physically like, wrong physically with wrong with yeah. him or something and it's very, says, it is strange in this conversation yeah. that they're having with adams because um adams provides the explanation mccoy says nope he says it doesn't quite it doesn't match true. up and yeah. kirk the lines are still open, so presumably Dr. Adams can still hear him. But anyways, Kirk McCoy just says straight up, I do not believe him. Yeah. 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 And Kirk can't hear that because of his reputation yeah. being so stellar, being such a leader in his yeah. field. He cannot process the fact that Dr. Adams would be lying to him. But, I mean, I think Bones has got a lot to go on here when you find out that this guy was, like, the assistant director of the entire colony. He's only been there for six months. And, by the way, they haven't reported this. Yeah, they haven't reported it. And when they when they called, they said, we have an escaped, what was it, an escaped criminal or an inmate, patient a inmate? A violent criminal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and then combined with this guy struggling to get words out, claiming he doesn't want to go back, that he's been tampered with and all that. die. I think it's really responsible of Bones to yeah. say, like I have serious objections to this. Bones is very much a gut feeling kind of character, but the important thing here is that Kirk listens to him. Like he doesn't agree with him. No, I think the only reason that Kirk actually 
does goes, anything Adams about it. Adams invites him. Well, no, the only thing he does is, is Bones says that he's going to enter his mm-hmm. objections or whatever into his official log, yeah. which means Kirk will have to, to reply in his official log. Yeah. And that he's basically, <laughs> Bones basically forces Kirk into going and starting the investigation. Yeah. Bones relies on that a lot. Well, yeah. I'm going to write in my log. Well, I'm going to write something nasty in my log. And so uh, Dr. Asimov says, absolutely, just bring minimum staff. Um, so that you don't upset the criminal. Yes, in my penology place. <laughs> he is, I wrote, he is suspiciously cool with this. But he must have been used to it, is the thing. Like, well, it seems like so. all Starfleet captains go on penal exploration. <laughs> oh, God! Penal explorations oh, no. as a hobby. I mean, it makes but, sense um, that um, a hospital ching. administrator would be used to being inspected. Yeah. But he's just, he's just a little too helpful. I don't know. So then Kirk is talking into his, what I thought was like a brownie camera. In front of everyone and making his log. Yeah, he was just recording his log right there. I was there very puzzled why he was doing his log into a portable tricorder while he was sitting at his captain's chair. Here's the thing. Are other people just supposed to pretend they can't hear it? Well, and, like, there was a dude standing there ready to take the recorder off and go, like, input it into the computer? It was like... It, probably. It was bizarre. It was a very it's bizarre... It's very strange. Did you imagine if you're in the middle of a meeting with, like, the boss of an organization and he just kind of... Move he or she moves to the side and just starts going. CEO's log. So I'm in this meeting today. Eunice is looking rather haggard. <laughs> She'll probably have the doctor go take a look at that. Looks like a rough night. Like he's talking about other people while they are essentially there. I understand what the function of the captain's log is, but couldn't you just like step into a room or closet for a moment? I think this is another function of your missing HR department trying to set like appropriate boundaries for the captain. Boundaries, boundaries. So instead of McCoy going down, McCoy decides to play a little prank and here we go into an incorrigible and instead sends Dr. Noel. Yeah. And Helen Noel. <laughs> my, my first thing is yeah. I wrote, she's a babe and gets romantic music. Yeah. <laughs> it is very much that. Apparently they met at the Christmas party. And let's all take a moment. Let's all take a moment of silence for the writer who had Kirk meet a girl at the Christmas party whose name was Dr. Noel. Oh, writer. Oh, writer. Almost as good as the uh, James Bond girl, Dr. Christmas Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Amazingly, amazing, amazing performance. So, apparently they met at the Science Lab Christmas party? Yeah. Weird on a number of levels. And Kirk makes it super awkward immediately. Well, actually, oh, yeah. she hits on, she makes the pass at him first. No, no, she's like, oh, remember the Science Lab Christmas party? You dropped out. And then he cuts her off, and I was left for days. <laughs> Holy my God. <laughs> dropped what? <laughs> your pants? Dropped your pants in the Christmas party? Again, this is, again, a notable thing in Star Trek, that not often are holidays... Mentioned. mentioned Christian yeah. holidays. Yeah. We had Thanksgiving earlier with yeah. the Thanksgiving mm-hmm. turkers, but I don't know that Christmas comes up at any other. I don't remember ever hearing about track. it. I don't think so. I don't. No. Like I mean, I know we get like in Deep Space Nine. There's a lot of emphasis placed on all the Bajoran religious mm. festivals that mm. happen on the but station. But there's so many Bajorans, and they orbit Bajor. So yeah, exactly. Sense. So that makes sense. And I mean, I feel like in next, not next gen Voyager. 
Neelix probably tries his hands at celebrating some various holidays. We get, uh, we get alien holidays, but I feel a like lot. they're probably alien ones. Like they'll, yeah, I we think get he, Klingon ones. We get some Cardassian ones. I feel like at some point he tries to celebrate some Vulcan something ones. Vulcan, and Tuvok is like, "No, you did it completely wrong and missed the point entirely." Yeah, which is like, yeah, but See, no, we don't Neelix is incorrigible. Yeah, but we don't get a lot of. You're right. We don't get a lot of like the traditional like. Western Christian holidays. I no. don't think there this is, is the a very only time I ever remember hearing about it. There's not a very special Christmas episode of Voyager, no. if I remember correctly. We no. do get though my very favorite favorite holiday on Next Generation, which is Captain Picard Day. Yes. Oh, wait all year for Captain Picard Day. Yep, such a great day. Best day of the year. Mm-hmm. So, so everyone's acting very professional. Are they? No. I would argue she's not acting yeah. professional at all. Okay. Sorry. Kirk okay. and Spock at this point, like, share a look with each other, like, oh shit, you gotta deal with your ex on this trip. Okay. Interjection and deep philosophical question. What the hell is between them? I assume that they flirted at the science Christmas party. Out. Yeah. And that's all. Yeah. yeah. And basically from what we learn at the end of the episode with how Kirk's mind is modified or whatever, mm-hmm. that's as far as I think it went. They yeah. flirted a bit. Yeah. And apparently this was the greatest moment of her life. Or, like, the most uncomfortable and awkward moment of Kirk's life? Yeah, because she's, she's the one that keeps bringing it up, and he's like, can we not right now? Can we just go down to this planet, tour this penal facility? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Mm. Um, and get back on the ship. But Bones apparently thinks this is very funny, because he knows the story of when Kirk dropped whatever at the Christmas party. And does this in revenge. Although she is a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it does make sense. And I think in the original story, it was supposed to be Yeoman Rand. Oh, okay. But this was about the time of... Yeah. Yeah. So they substituted it in with Mariana Hill playing Dr. Noel. And it makes more sense that they would actually send a psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. And she was... Because I think she was supposed to be the most qualified person on the ship to evaluate the technology or whatever yes. down yes. there. Yes. Which, A, just a moment... The lady is more qualified than Bones. I really liked that. Yeah. It is a good moment. Slightly undercut by the fact that her poor skirt is so short. I know. It feels shorter than some of the normal ones. Like, you can definitely you see, can see her little dance her her little fancy dan- pants. Yeah, her, her little spanky pants underneath. I feel so awful for all of the women in this show sometimes and what they are forced to wear. Like, I am a competent professional, and you can wear whatever you want, but we see a lot of her panties. Yep. And that can't be comfortable. No. If I am interviewing people, I do not want them looking at my panties. Nope. I want them admiring my veneer. Well, they appear to they appear to be starfleet issued matching panties. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kept thinking. I keep thinking of every time I see this because it happens not infrequently. I think of dance pants, which are like mm. looser panties you wear over your real ones for when your skirt and everything up. Well, they're all right. They're meant to be comfortable. They're like diapers. And I think the reason I call them spanky pants is I think it's a term I heard in probably, like, bring it on for, like, the little things you <laughs> yeah. wear under the cheerleading skirts with spanky pants. Same I don't thing. know if that's actually accurate, but... It, it, it's a word for it, yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, so <laughs> they beam down to Devil's Island, is what I can only assume, and... Whoa, wait, hang on a second. I that was going to be a joke. They get into a turbo lift to go to the transporter room. There's some sort of bizarre-ass lurch, and they clutch at each other in oh. the turbo lift for, like, the entire ride. Actually, before that, when they beam down, it, I think it's the same set from where No Man Has Gone Before. It actually is. It's, it's the same... The lithium, automated yeah. lithium processing facility yeah. thing before they get in the elevator. Same deal. Yeah, they get into what can only be described as the fastest turbo lift of all time. Yeah. yeah. And it's odd that the penal... Penal colony... 
Oh, Jesus, stop. Sorry. The penal colony is not on the surface. It's deep, deep, deep underground yeah. in this planet. And the planet seemed fine because they're able to go beam down on it. And walk around. And walk around and breathe the air. So why, why hide those... these guys in the center of a My planet? My question is, and I know they were just use, reusing a set to make it seem like whatever, colony planet, but if the whole thing is underground, why do they need all those structures? Why do they need the force field? That's also a good question. Well, there, I mean, there are elevator. Maybe it's just like, um... Like a means of trying to prevent escape. Like you build a that's a lot of levels. Well, you build Alca- you build Alcatraz on an island, but you still put up walls. Okay, there's a difference between Alcatraz and a planet. How yeah. are you going to get off the planet? Yeah, the ships that come by. Like we've just seen a dude beam himself to a ship in a crate. Like why not just have them on the surface and then have no ships? They have, I don't think they have ships. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure Doctor Van Gelder would have used that to escape. I'm not sure he well, would have no. been able to pilot a ship in his condition. I don't. Think Maybe they, they should just beam up smaller boxes. I don't <laughs> think they necessarily have ships themselves, but there's definitely ships dropping by, probably for supplies. And yeah. like we've seen, they were transporting medication and taking back. There would have been other ways. Yeah, but they're beaming stuff down. Just, it just beam seems down like smaller, a little bit overkill. Beam down st- smaller, not human-sized boxes. <laughs> Anyways, so they take the fastest turbo lift in history down, oh, and Adam steps out with. The most scary symbols on his—I don't even know what to call his outfit. Oh, his, me- his like medical scrubs. His medical scrubs. It looks like a cult. The, the it one hundred looks it's like, like a, cult. a pair of hands and a sun and a bird or something like it's that. It's a dove with a. Yeah. I think the dove might have greenery in its mouth. Yeah. It and looks there's like a sun a cult. and an open hand. It's probably supposed to be an olive leaf, like an olive branch, like from the Bible. Still looks like a cult. Yeah, yeah. it looked like the cult of the open hand. <laughs> Open bird hand. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Noel introduces herself to Dr. Adams and says, perhaps you'll call me Helen. Or perhaps you can call her by her rank because that's what's appropriate. Well, no, but whatever. She, everybody else on the ship has been trying to call her by, like, they were calling her Dr. Noel. Yeah. She is the one who's like, I know. call me I'm Helen. I'm mad at her. Why are you mad at her? If that's how she prefers to be addressed. That's her way. That's I think her... I think they share kind of a doctor-doctor joke. They're like, oh, I'm a doctor. Oh, I'm a doctor. We'll a never doctor, know doctor. who's talking yeah. to who. Doctor-doctor-doctor. Well, doctor, I mean, doctor, it could doctor. just be a thing that she doesn't particularly like being called Dr. Noel all the time or whatever. That's like, because her last name is stupid. Yeah, okay, I'm mad at the writers because this is very unprofessional behavior. And yeah. it bugs me a little bit. So apparently they don't have... Or they do? Do they have booze and weapons in prison? Well, they have booze, and they tell They definitely Kirk, have a lot because of Because Kirk goes to, like, oh, I know it's, like, standard procedure that I have to give up my weapons. And, and they're like, like no, 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 keep it! Everyone gets booze and weapons in prison. Just like on Con Air, the documentary, <laughs> <laughs> the documentary film about prison, prison transport. Yeah, I, I really like how Nicolas Cage, like, lowered himself there and agreed to, like, just act out a bit in the documentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to get some of that realism that he would be bringing to future roles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also get introduced to Leth. Okay, it's Leth. It's Poncho Woman. A Letha. The one named after the the river of forgetfulness. And Dr. Adams kind of like pushes her forward and says, say the nice things that I told you to say the gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. And she says she was malignant. And Dr. Adams explains that part of their method is to bury the past. And Dr. Noel immediately comes in with, oh, well, yes, the shifting of memory patterns is basic to psychotherapy. And this whole thing just sounds so incredibly implausible. I just wrote, uh... Would you like me to do my best Lathe impression? Yes. Yes. <coughs> I came for the rehabilitation and became a therapist. I love my work. I was another person. That person no longer exists. I buried the past because I am a robot. 
That was excellent. Thank you. And yeah. this scene also made me think of thank you, thank you. the way that they deal with, remember in Babylon 5, that the way they deal with capital offenders is to actually wipe out their personality and replace it with something else. Oh, yeah. But they treat it like the death penalty because it is. Yeah. You're dead. Yeah. yeah. And that was, this was like, it was a personality removal, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't, they don't know that to start with. No. So there are so many togas. Uh-huh. And people on a lot of drugs. Oh, yeah. They're all smiley and vacant and... Oh, yeah. They're having yeah. a good time. Togas and also more ponchos. And so they kind of walk by and Adam's like, oh, 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 here's my failed science experiment. Nothing to see here. Yeah. It's, it's like, the music is like, what's this sinister looking machine? Oh, it's just an experiment that didn't work out. So no why are you still using yeah, this machine? As he's saying, it's an experiment that didn't work out. It, we don't expect to get much use in it. There's a patient in the chair of the machine. So the machine is called the Neural Neutralizer. Which definitely sounds safe. <laughs> it's a neutralizer. <laughs> Nothing about neutralizing sounds safe and like something you should do on a fellow human being. No. No. No, there's a giant control panel. Mm-hmm. And behind and behind glass, there is a really modernist blocky chair mm-hmm. where the person is strapped in. Yep. And they stare at a blinking light. It's a spinning light. No, it blinks, and then it also has a spin. And it mm-hmm. hums. Mm-hmm. And the it hum hums. Very important. And it hums. The hum sounds and Adam says that it relaxes the mind, which is not the definition of neutralizing. No, no. no. What is it supposed to be neutralizing? No one asks. Yeah. Well, I really like this whole section here where you kept getting the intercut back between what Dr. Adams was telling people on the planet up to what Dr. Van Gelder was telling Bones and Spock mm-hmm. on the ship. So you can sort of see the contrast between, like, you're actually getting the truth through the two bits mm-hmm. being sort of shoved together. Yeah, and it's down it, on the planet, everyone is really eager to excuse this machine as harmless. Including but Dr. Noel. Including Dr. Noel. Yes. Especially Dr. Noel. And back up on the ship, Van Gelder's like, no, he fucking erased me. It's excellent juxtaposition because yeah. the man with the sterling reputation who is perfectly groomed and calm and mm-hmm. put together carefully explaining his motivations is then contrasted with Van Gelder who's very sweaty wild eyes muttering in what I think we would see as Screaming. you know a, a typical thing of schizophrenia yeah and it is it's the patient versus patient's word versus the word of a doctor yeah, yeah. and I think it's doing something really interesting here where we do. We always trust the doctor and what happens. The doctor knows best. And we discount the words or the potential truth of the, that the patient, patient is saying just yeah. because of the way that they express themselves yeah. and the way that they look. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and here, here comes the desperately trying to express itself but not really very well executed message of this episode, which is, I don't know, mental health methods are what? I don't think that that's, it's necessarily a commentary on mental health No, but it, there's psychology. a bunch of places where it seems like it's trying to say something about, like, the way we treat people we think are crazy, but like a lot of times in early Star Trek, it never quite gets there. I don't think that that's really the tack that it's taking at all. I think I would go back to the fact that just because someone has a good reputation doesn't mean that they don't do terrible things. And the people that always look like the villains, mm. they 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 have had things happen to them to have them act the way that they do. And we should be listening to them and not discounting everything that they say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so this neural neutralizer is is controlled despite all this fancy boopity booping machinery by an on and off switch. <laughs> like a knob. Let's a just knob. turn the knob. Yeah, the knob turns on and then you adjust the strength. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially like a stereo. Yep. And I think Adam says it's definitely not a chamber of horrors. <laughs> <laughs> Direct quote. Yep. Direct quote. Red flag on the play. Uh-huh. <laughs> and oh, the accident happened here. He tried to do it alone. I have a giant ass question here. Okay. How would you do that yourself? How would you turn it on? If you're sitting in the chair, you can't turn it on or adjust it. No. This is an excellent, like, did you turn it up to full and then run into the chair? Well, that's probably what they're, ta- they're trying to think is what has happened because that is exactly what happens. Not to give away too many spoilers, that's exactly what happens to Dr. Adams at the end. Is he's alone in the room, the, the volume is turned up, and he can do nothing about it. Except he's been forced into the room. That's true. Whereas yeah. we would have to posit that Dr. Van Gelder... Volume. Cranked it up to max, yeah, and, and then wandered himself. in himself into yeah. the machine that neutralizes, wipes your brain. Yeah, everyone here is a robot. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> at this point, again, Kirk is trying to communicate back to the ship in front of Doctor Adams, and this is the problem with the communicators that yeah. I've always had: is that you cannot have a pri- you cannot DM someone. Yeah. <laughs> You can't, like, put it on vibrate. Yeah. No, and so Adam says, oh, perhaps a private conversation method would be helpful for you. And he leaves. Yeah. At which point the people up on the ship say, hey, Kirk. <laughs> so this guy says uh, he got his mind wiped by this horrible torture machine. And Kirk's like, nah, it's fine. Well, and Kirk and Dr. Noel, or Helen, decide to spend the night at the prison. <laughs> Why? <laughs> After Spock says, so this guy says, you're in terrible danger, but I'm definitely going to spend the night here. Mm-hmm. Noelle, in fact, says, well, that's just foolish. Yes. You're an excellent technical assistant. Good job. And so the ship says we are going to check in every four hours. Again, I have a deep question. How the hell are you trying to get any, any sleep at all if someone's waking you up every four hours? Mm. You can't just roll over and go back to sleep? No. Well, it's kind of like sitting a watch. But the second they say they're going to spend the night, Van Gelder up on the ship freaks out. Like, you can't let them stay. They're in danger. Something terrible is going to happen. And so Spock decides to employ an ancient oh, yes. Vulcan technique, <gasps> which has never been attempted with a human that pries into their private life. But for Jim Kirk, I will do this thing. Twinkle music. Yep. This was awesome. I really I enjoyed so it. I was so excited. Amazing. So it's not hypnosis. Nope. And definitely says that many times. It's not hypnosis because, 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 because they were afraid that they would actually hypnotize people through the TV. Wow. Yeah. So they, what? originally it was going to be that um, Spock was going to hypnotize Dr. Van Gelder so that he would be able to kind of explain himself yeah. in full. Because every time he tries to start saying things, he, he's under tremendous pain. And so Spock was going to hypnotize him, but they thought that he would actually hypnotize people through the TV. Was this back when they were, like, the panic over, like, satanic subliminal messages in movies? No. So this is blowing my mind right now that you're telling me that the Vulcan mind meld came out of a genuine fear that people could get hypnotized through the television. Yes. And so they had to come up with an alternate (laughs) technique for spot to uncover the truth so they came up using his funky Vulcan powers with the mind melt. Wow. This is just like 
boom, blown my mind right now. Oh my god. I do know that, because I remember my mom talking about how people were really worried about, um, there was a panic in, I think it was the 60s or the 70s. 80s. No, because there was an early one, because um, my mom remembers going to drive-in movies and people being afraid of this. But people were really still very unclear on how television worked. In the 60s? Yes. Yeah. But, so, Spock slinks up to Van Gelder and, like, whispers sweet nothings into his ears. And strokes <laughs> his face. Strokes his face all gentle-like. And definitely not hypnotizes him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is able to go into Van Gelder's mind. Well, the two things that I like that they noted right off is that it was a very personal connection. Mm. And that um, he had to be careful about the pressure changes he made with his hands because he could affect the blood vessels, which I really liked. <laughs> Kim is into blood stuff. Hey! Kim is into Vulcans. I'm into Vulcans. Uh, oh. So they kind of do the mind meld back on the planet. Whoa, we no, need to talk more about the mind meld and the beginnings of the mind meld. Okay, Kim, take us through it. He first off starts by grasping the entire head, and like when we see mind, oh shut your mouths! I see that look. <laughs> um, when we see like it's not just this this simple like the ritualistic touching we see later on, but and they didn't also don't <laughs> you you can say penal colony fifteen times. I I'm gonna say ritualistic penal. There is an awful lot of uh, ritualistic finger touching with Vulcans. I'm just saying. Yeah, mm. but then um, the thing, the other thing that we don't get that we get later on with mind melds is the my mind to your mind my thoughts to your thoughts start but what we did get from spock was at one point was him telling van gelder to open your mind we move together (laughs) really like that because it was not it was not it was just like joining their minds together to think the same thoughts at the same time and i really liked it okay now you can move on okay thank you kim back on the planet kirk bursts into helen's room without knocking Mm -hmm. No one knocks in space and is suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I take a moment, another moment here to pause and we need to talk about Helen's hairdo (laughs) because at this point it was like jumped off the screen and kind of punched me in the face with how kind of awful it was. She has all of these big curls all over her head, almost like they're still in rollers. And then she has one piece that looks like it's been pulled out and down like by her shoulders. Out. Yeah, exactly. And it was just this point in the episode where they're in her quarters, it was just like, I was just staring at it going, what is happening to this poor woman's head? Is I didn't know if it was a wig. I didn't know if it was her actual do. It was not good. <sighs> so Kim, here's a shocker. I did not notice her hair at all. Of course you didn't. I didn't, I didn't notice it for the most part. I did notice the one bit because it didn't look like... Because a lot of the time with the, the ladies in Starfleet, they have like the big complicated updos with like yeah. the one curl. It's yeah. very Regency. But uh, this one bit just looked like it had fallen out of the hairpin. Yeah, it was bananas. It was odd. Okay. But most lady hair in uh, Star Trek is yes. pretty crazy. Okay, now you can move on again. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fine. <laughs> I think it was mostly fine too. Kim was apparently very affected by the hair. Um, the first thing Noelle does when Kirk bursts into her his, her room is to hit on him again. Yes, she because is she is very flirty, which yeah. is fine. Is this the moment to be flirty? No, no. He is raising some concerns about the fact that Doctor Adams might be an evil villain, mm-hmm. and she's like, or make outs. They are in a penal colony You're after in all. A penal oh. colony, yeah. Um, and Kirk wants to see the machine. 
without Adams hanging over their shoulders. And he wants her to come with him to be, like, the tech support. Yes, and we go back to Van Gelder saying, and he's he's able to communicate kind of through Spock that he can, uh, Dr. Adams can now reshape any mind that he chooses. He erased and put his own thoughts into him. Yeah. And Dr. Van Gelder, he grew tired, my mind being so open and so blank. And any thought that he put in there became my own thought, like a sponge. And it is such agony to be empty. That does pretty, sound pretty scary. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I was actually a really solid piece of writing. All the stuff with Van yeah. Gelder I thought was really well, well oh, done. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then I really liked here that um, it was like, it was Van Gelder speaking, but it was like Spock was giving him the mental stability to yeah. speak, which is, I really, really like that. They also really did like the thing a couple, a couple of times where they're saying the same words together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I really, really liked this very, for the very first mind meld, it was very well done. Yeah, it, it very much was. And we go back to Hallow, and she's like, I know my own profession. The machine is perfectly safe. Does she know her own profession? Has you, she, has has she, she even looked at the schematics well, or anything Earlier yet? on, um, she says that they've experimented with mem- memory beam technology. That's what she calls it on Earth and in other penal colonies. But she's not familiar with this particular setup. But it seems perfectly legit. Yeah, but now she's totally confident that she can handle the controls without making Kirk eventually. To be fair, there are two controls. The on and off switch. And the volume. And the volume. But you'd think you'd want to be sure before you started messing around with someone's brain, potentially. Yeah. She's a professional, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Mm -hmm. So Kirk says, he sits in the chair, looks up at the blinky light, and says, Give me a harmless suggestion. And so she turns it on and says, You're hungry. Yeah. And turns off the machine. He's like, oh, did you turn on the machine? Oh, but I'm so hungry. Mm. Let's go locate and raid some food on the penal colony. Yes. And they they decide to try again with an unusual suggestion. And here is where... <laughs> yeah. Just... Oh my god, oh. This, was, this was awful and yet unbelievably hilarious to me. At this me. point, we would call in not only Starfleet HR, but her board of college ethics, because where the hell did she get her degree? Yeah. Oh, I just really liked... Like, she turns it on, she's like, okay, so we definitely bang. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like she memory dub cons him. It's very she does. uncomfortable. You swept me off my feet. Oh, and he's like, oh, Merry Christmas. And then we get to but see... But my reputation, she says... What does that even mean? You're like, yeah, that was bizarre. It felt like they needed to have the female character throw up a protest of some description and to not bang him on Christmas. Yeah, at the Christmas be a cliche at the staff Christmas party. And this whole little like planted memory flashback is done with like the sort of soft edged vignette effect. This is it's also one of my things that drives me nuts. Is like he runs into the room carrying her in his arms. I'm like, did you fireman carry her like from the Christmas party through the turbo lift through the hall? I assume he said, "This is my secret Santa present." (laughs) Yoinked her up and booked it out of there. Merry Christmas to Kirk. That this was like from her favorite like. 23rd century romance novel. No, this is her yeah. wishing that this had happened at the Christmas party. Yeah. But and the lines have a little, a, a kind of a rehearsed quality about them to the point where it's like she's acting out something she's thought about. This almost. is her favorite fanfic of yeah. her life. Basically, yeah. Oh my god. So they, um, they try a few things and they're like, 
Oh, this is actually a brainwashing machine. It's a it's a mind control device. And Kirk says it's remarkably effective for a device Dr. Adams was prepared to abandon. He was it's, not that, prepared at no to point abandon. Has he abandoned well, that's what it. he said. He said when they viewed the it's, machine the first while time, it, while they were using while it. they were using it, he says we don't expect to get much use out of it. He was, it was lying. A failed experiment. Yeah, he was. <laughs> but that's what that's what Kirk's saying. It's like, well, he was obviously lying. Okay. So at this point, Adams, of course, like barges in. Because someone was using his device on his penal colony without his permission. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and Adams pushes Helen aside and starts taking over the narrative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and writing his own Kirk Helen fanfic. He's an yeah. even bigger shipper than Helen. Mm-hmm. He is hardcore shipper. That He says to Kirk, oh, you've, you've loved Helen for years. You yes, need this is where it becomes Helen. bad fic. Oh. Um, my question here, why doesn't Kirk just shut his eyes? Because he's he doesn't realize what's happening. Because you remember when he was hungry, oh, he yeah. forgot. He didn't even know it was on. Yeah. It like washes his oh. mind clear. The neutralization portion. Of I feel like it would title. probably still work at least a little bit if his but eyes were closed. But it's the blinky light that works. We don't know that. It could just be the noise. I extrapolate like, as a professional that was happening. <laughs> as apparently, I have as much professional credentials as Dr. Helen Noel, <laughs> at least from what we see on screen. Definitely. Um, but he tells. So he, he tells Kirk, he's in love with Helen, you're madly in love, you would kill for her. And then he tells him, drop your calm, drop your gun. Um, but Kirk does manage to open his communicator and start to call the ship. Um, and throws himself out of the chair in a good signature Kirk roll. Mm, yep. In a classic Shatner move. Yep. What, what, why would I just roll out of the chair when I can throw myself manfully at the floor? Oh, the However, though, when he was draped around and being in pain, like excruciating <laughs> pain, his pain face was hilarious. It was amazing. No one at the ship is like, hey, Kirk, you need anything? Maybe nope. he just checked in. Maybe just a butt dial. Yeah. <laughs> and... So Kirk is absolutely convinced that he's in love with Helen. I think they lock them up in, in some room. Yeah. They're back in their quarters, I think. Mm-hmm. Back in their quarters, and Kirk starts in. If it was a Regency romance, the expression would be he starts making love to her. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. 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 No. 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 <laughs> um, and. Noelle is like, no, he planted that memory, remember? Now she's sensible. And come on. And then Kirk starts pulling on the decor. <laughs> yeah, because he sort of quasi starts coming around, like he's still feeling compelled, but he's also like, shit, we gotta do something. At this point, I would like to point out that there are a lot of secret passages. Yeah. In this place for a prison. Because what he does is he boosts her into an air conditioning duct, which I the really feel that should giant... have been locked. Okay, it is in the, the mental hospital. Biggest air conducting duct <laughs> yes. of all yep. time. It's massive. You could fit three people in there yep. easily mm-hmm. in a sandwich mm-hmm. and just kind of boosts her up and says, uh, turn off the force field. Yeah. Yeah. Just go. It'll yeah. be fine. Who designed this prison? I don't know. Anyhow. It was, yeah, it was bizarre. But she does find the room. Yeah. Okay, this is the point where she turns into a bad ass. Yeah. Oh my god, she was amazing. She was great. Yeah. And that's that's because he becomes the damsel in distress because they come back to get him to give him more treatments. Yeah. And um scary robot lady River of Forgetfulness reports that she is missing. Yeah. Yes. And this is what's so frustrating about her character because for the first half she is an unprofessional I don't even know what epitaph to throw in here. Unprofessional, ineffectual, 
I, it's just obstructionist. Yeah. Obstructionist is a good one. Inappropriately yeah. flirty. Like she's she's openly like questioning her captain's orders in front of the people they're there to investigate for possible misconduct. And then I and then all of a switch sudden, is flipped, and she becomes a badass yeah, superhero. Oh awesome. shoot! This this is the point where I like I loved this whole section of her. Yeah, I enjoyed like, this a great deal. Yeah. Yeah, because she mission impossible yeah. through those air conditioning. Combines like engineering, which is obviously the same set as the ship's engineering. <laughs> of course, why um, do anything? And I was puzzled because there's a bit where she opens a like a random cupboard. I'm like, what about that? Looks like the power source. <laughs> but okay, there's a switch in there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets a little confused because the ship is, I guess she like makes it flicker or something because something on the ship makes them think, oh, we can we can get in there, but you have to keep trying. Whatever. Well, it's, it's she is working on turning off the yeah. force field so that yeah. the ship can beam down. And also yeah. that they can communicate with the ship. Because when the force field is on, yeah. I think at this point they say you cannot communicate with the ship. Yeah. yeah. I, I think maybe they've been trying since Kirk called. Yeah. Let me I just check in with them. I now. think what she does first is because she first thing she does is she pulls a lever. Mm-hmm. And that turns the power off. Mm-hmm. In the oh, entire, right, right, entire right. facility. She turns off the also, chair first. Yes. Which Very also smart. drops the force field. Because mm. if there's no power, there's no force field. And that's where Spock is able to beam down. Just himself. Yeah. But it's like himself. not a big enough hole or something? Yeah. Well, yeah. then... Um, and then some, she get, turns into an ultra badass. Because a guy comes in and, and tries to stop down. her. Yeah, tries to stop her. And he turns it back on. Yes. And then she kicks him in the balls. Oh, no. They engage in a straight up tussle. Oh, yeah. yeah. She actually like fights relatively competently. But then he knocks her over and... You're like, oh no, she's doomed. And then she kicks him in the balls. And it's very yeah. satisfying. I wrote down here, like, Helen shorts out the power by kicking mm-hmm. a dude into the circuit. It was excellent. Yeah, she very not satisfying. only just kicks him into the balls, she kicks him into the electrical panel, which electrocutes turns him. him into crispy, crispy man bacon. Yep. Yeah. Um, does not seem phased. I really Go, Helen. <laughs> I really enjoyed this a lot. Good job, Helen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So the, the field's down. And uh, the ship starts sending down, like, security people and Spock and Bones. Um, and Helen gets back into the ducts to go rescue the captain because the crew is clearly too slow. She's not wrong. She is not wrong. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, she really doesn't have any way to know for sure if anybody's coming from the ship yet. So That's she's true. It's true. She's got to, lady's got to get stuff done. And, and then she does it for herself. And, and she goes back to Kirk, and there's, it's an interesting inversion because he's still sort of affected it's an interesting inversion of taking advantage because he's the compromised one and she's the one with all the feelings. It, it is sad, I guess. Yeah. Because, yeah. She does... She would have liked to have made out with him, oh, judging yes. by her fanfic. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's what he does. Is he drags her out of the air duct mm-hmm. and plants one on her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's like, are you sure this is a good idea? It is not a good idea. No, it's not. It's it really is not. not a good idea. At which point, I think, essentially... I lost track of what was happening at this point, but I think Kirk and Adam's fight? I don't think and they Adam's... do. Again, I just stopped paying attention, which either speaks to I was the... paying too much attention to Helen kicking everybody's exactly. ass. Exactly. It either yeah. speaks to how good Helen was and how interesting and engaging the episode was, uh-huh. or how confusing it was, but somehow Dr. Adams ends up on the, in, on the floor. floor of the neural neutralizer. I think Kirk maybe punches him out a little bit and is able to get out of the chair. Yeah. I feel like that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, like the thug goes off to take care of Helen and Adam's oh, is left. Oh, it's because the power went yeah. out. Yes. Yeah. Kirk realizes that something's out, so Adam's goes to tussle with him 
And then he punches him and runs away. And leaves him in the room. And leaves him in the room. Mm-hmm. And when Adams comes to, the machine is turned back on to full strength. Because the power because comes the back. power yeah, comes back, back on. on. Yeah. And Adams is left there with the machine. And... He can't do anything. He is... Empty him out. Wrapped. And yeah, that's like what happened. an apple. Ooh. Yeah, but you can still eat the apple. Yeah. But the apple probably doesn't think it's an apple anymore. Apple still thinks it's an apple. The core does not an apple make. When well, you have apple slices, they're not... It was not, just meant not to like, be... No, like, no, 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 no. A when you have metaphor. apple slices, they're not nothingness slices. They are apple slices. Yes. Okay, I was just trying when to make... When you make apple pie, it doesn't have the core in it. It's still This was pie. a bad metaphor. I was just trying to make a metaphor that was gruesome. And it was bad. Yeah. Let's well, move on. Whatever. I can't. Now we oh, have to think of a better metaphor. Just bring out with an ice cream scoop? Fine. There you go. Okay. Ooh, ran a magnet over the hard drive of his self. Sure. Okay. There we go. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Good, we got that. Okay. Um, and then we get back to the last scene where uh, we come up to the offensive quip, but... Uh, well, I mean, and then it's just sort of, you know... Because then Gelder goes back. Spock is there, and Bones is there, and everything is sorted out in the end. Yeah. yeah. And then well, Gelder's been left behind on Tantalus because apparently then Gelder's been fixed. I think he they are able to hand wave away his uh, he's fine. his mental problems. Mm-hmm. And Bone says, it's hard to believe that a man could die of loneliness. And then we get a moment where Kirk is clearly extremely traumatized by this experience, but then they're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just go fly through space. <laughs> and episode. Mm-hmm. The interesting th- thing that I thought is that Dr. Adams has the mind emptied by the machine and I think it's Kirk who says, without even a tormentor for company. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was actually a yeah. pretty solid piece of writing, frankly. Yeah, yeah I like there that. There are some really good lines in there. There, are there were lot. very good lines, yeah. 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 Um, so, performance of the episode. Uh, for me, it's the guy who plays Dr. Van Gelder. Morgan Woodward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah uh, he was very good. It was very affecting. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Mm-hmm. So apparently after filming this episode, he was antisocial and cruel towards his family and had to take like a four-day nap. Oh, Because it was so demanding. Previously, yeah. he'd only worked in westerns and he found this like very, very challenging. And it's true. Yeah. Everything, every single scene that he's in, he is on and he is very... Yeah. Acting can be really upsetting. Yeah. I would imagine it is because... No, it, like I played um, Scrooge in elementary school. <laughs> of course you did. But I was... It was no acting required. <laughs> it... <laughs> but I actually got sick because I was so stressed out by the whole thing because it's very upsetting even like a, a relatively innocuous play like that and this guy was playing a tortured traumatized like victim of a crazy psychiatrist in his what chamber of horrors definitely not a chamber of horrors <laughs> definitely not yeah, I thought I thought he did an amazing performance. I would have enjoyed if they stopped spritzing him every five minutes. <laughs> well, we've talked about sweating before. It's, like, it's a dramatic it's, device. It's, yeah, it's the only way they really have to show someone's in distress. I yes. guess. Try acting, well, man. Anyway. Well, yeah. Other oh, than yes. the crazy eyes, ladies. Ladies only glow. <laughs> so true. Um, life lesson. Um. Oh, that's another good one. Um. Oh, geez. Skip me. Come back. Okay. I gotta think about this. I don't know about life lesson, but I do have, like, I came away from it with, a, like, a question. And it, it, this isn't the, is there no motive without emotion? Because I think that could be argued for a million years. But um, the idea being that 
penal colonies are really the only prisons that we ever see in Star Trek. We don't have another kind of dealing with civilian crime or even military crime because Starfleet personnel end up in penal We colonies. don't see these kind of prisons on the Starfleet end. We definitely see other people in prison in alien prisons. Yeah, but, but the Federation only seems to have prison systems that are removed from society that are and and is that valuable because in a mental hospital sense isolation is valuable or is it desirable in this case because it means that good people regular people nice people don't have to look at all the crazy criminals i think maybe you've got two things you have people who are dealing with some kind of mental illness which cause them their illness causes them to do crimes which or crimes or actions which society deems unacceptable and Mm -hmm. then you have criminals who again may be suffering from mental illness or who are doing things that are motivated by emotions to commit crimes that they with all knowledge but you did a bad with all knowledge know what they are doing and that it is mentally competent people and i think that as a society we're moving hopefully to help people who have the mental illness who who are not doing things out of a desire to hurt people when they are in their right mind but with the other who are doing things out of pure malicious intent or necessity because we often don't distinguish between the two i'm going to make the distinction of just pure malicious intent what do you do with those people well, if you're in the Federation, you find a moon somewhere. You drill into that moon. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you put up a force field and you never think about them again. But they do because Kirk tours them. Oh, that's such yes. a weird hobby. It is a weird hobby. Um, life, life lesson? Okay, my life lesson is I'm going to take my lesson from Helen and I'm going to say if flirting doesn't work, kick a guy in the nuts to make the guy like you. <sighs> Strong strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Indirect, yeah. but very powerful, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think mine would be to take a lot of consideration of butt dials. Are they butt dials or are they calls for distress? Mm. Mm. Text and make sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good plan. Yeah. Thank you. Very nice. Anything else that we want to add to Dagger of the Mind? Death count. One. 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 Dr. One. Adams. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean... I'm actually, I was actually expecting higher when we started doing death counts I was expecting higher death counts in all these episodes because it's like the whole thing with Star Trek is like red shirts are being murdered every episode very few red shirts are actually dying I remember someone actually did a study of the entire original series once and it was like yeah it's actually way fewer red shirts than everybody thinks oh there are a lot of red shirts oh there are a lot of out. red shirts but it's not quite as like it's dramatic the numbers as you know you're led to expect yeah in this episode culture. there are less people dead than in an episode of Midsummer Murders. Yeah. That's not really a real high bar. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was almost killed by a thresher. Yeah. More people in this episode get karate chopped on the back of the neck than actually die. You mm. know what? Doesn't seem that bad. No. 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 I think we covered it. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Dagger of the mind, people. Um, stay away from psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently they're bad news. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Bye.